Ryan Hickey in for Zach with you on this Wednesday. Welcome. Happy Wednesday. Pump day, baby. Halfway to the weekend. One of the final weekends left in summer. Oh, it's exciting because football is almost here. Also depressing. I don't know about you. For me, summer is by far my favorite season of the year. And so it's depressing that each and every season, I feel like summer goes faster and faster. Even though there's no school at the end of it. Right? When you were a kid, at least, it's, oh, my God, I got to go back to school. This sucks. I got Life does not actually change for me. Work stays the same. If anything, it's more exciting now that football is here. But nonetheless, still depressing that summer is uh, almost out of here. But anyway, either way, appreciate you making us a part of your Wednesday right here on CBS Sports Radio. Okay. Ten teams in the NFL will have a new starting quarterback here in 2020. So what I'm going to do is give you expectations and predictions for all ten of those teams. We can get a little beautiful, sweet NFL music. We can get this party started. Oh, there we go. There we go. Let's start right at the top. Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. Here's my expectation for the Jets this year. To miss the playoffs. I don't think the Jets are making the playoffs this year for two reasons. Number one, offensive line is a concern, and we're seeing it right in front of our face. If you watch Hard Knocks last night, you saw that offensive line struggling against the Panthers. If you didn't, if you didn't see any reports today, I'll inform you. Today, joint practices against the Buccaneers. Ten dropbacks for Aaron Rodgers. Six sacks. Offensive line right now is brutal. They're banged up. Not a lot of talent uh, as well. They were in for a, I think, a rough, rough start here, especially with how challenging the Jets' schedule is right off the bat. They need to get off to a good start. And right now, with the way the offensive line is playing, it does not look like that's going to happen. But also, too, I don't see Aaron Rodgers coming in and forming this great relationship right away with the receivers and his new teammates. He's someone who's he's someone who's slow to adjust. We saw it a lot last year. Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson struggling for basically 95% of the season in getting on the same page as them. Even though the offense is the same, for the most part, and Nathaniel Hackett's a a familiar voice, I don't think that to me that changes much because there's still a lot of teammates he has to adjust to. I don't think he will do it. Jets in year number one, not expecting a lot. I think they will miss the playoffs. The Colts with Anthony Richardson. I think there'll be more optimism then pessimism at the end of the season. Like, wins for the Colts in 2023 are irrelevant. Do not matter. If Anthony Richardson plays well and they're 1-16, that is better than the Colts going, I don't know, 7-10, and 10, but Anthony Richardson doesn't look good and Gardner Mitch is the quarterback. I think we'll see a lot of up and downs. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. But at the end of the day, I think we'll see more good than bad with Richardson. And the Colts will feel like they got it right. They're on the right path, at least, to getting the franchise quarterback they think Anthony Richardson can become. I think year number one will give you a solid feeling early on that that is going to be the case. Another rookie in the AFC South, C.J. Stroud in the Texans. I think of the three first-round picks, quarterback-wise, last year, Richardson, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, I think Stroud's going to have the worst year of the three. And it's not even him, per se, I don't like a lot of the talent that's around him down there in Houston. I don't think there's a lot of help on the offensive line outside of Laramie Tunsil. Damian Pierce had a solid rookie year, but not a, a game breaker that's going to take a lot of attention off Stroud. 
Receiver-wise, I think there's a lot there to be desired. A lot of unproven talent, bare minimum. And Robert Woods is the most experienced receiver they have. Not much of a game-breaker anymore. I mean, the guy you hear the most buzz about so far is Tank Dell, a rookie out of Houston. If you have a rookie being your best option as a rookie quarterback, that to me is concerning. So I'm not high on the help C.J. Stroud has around him this year, which is why of those three rookies, I think Stroud is in for the, the roughest one here in 2023. The Raiders. Cold boy. Raiders bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo. Look, my, my expectation is for Jimmy not to finish, uh, finish the season healthy. Not rooting for him to get hurt, but this is a guy that's fragile. The Raiders' offensive line is a mess, and Joshua Daniels sinks to the head coach. Add those three things up, I don't see how we're looking at, at a successful season from Jimmy G. You will have Josh Jacobs there. Josh Jacobs is not going to hold out this season. That is not going to happen. Financially, it makes no sense for him to do so. From a contract perspective, you know, next year trying to get a big-time deal in 2024, that's not going to help you either. He's going to play. So even though you have the best running back in the NFL, one of, to some, the best wide receiver in the league in Devontae Adams, don't think it's going to add for a lot of success out there in the desert. And large Parkers, I don't think Jimmy G is going to be able to stay healthy because he'll be constantly under siege from that porous offensive line. So I think it's going to be a rough year number one in the desert there for Jimmy G. The Commanders and Sam Howell. I don't think Sam Howell is going to play well enough here in 2023 to lock down the position in 2024. Like he has talent. And we saw when he had talent around him at North Carolina, he can make some plays. He could show you some flashes. And Washington has some good offensive talent around him where they'll be able to show you some flashes. But I think it's going to be a lot of inconsistency, a lot of head-scratching throws, a lot of frustration from Ron Rivera, Eric Bieniemy, and co. To where at the end of 2023, we are not going to be sitting here saying, oh yeah, Sam Howell, quarterback for the Commanders next year, lock it up. Don't even think about it. He is not going to play well enough here to start this season where he's going to have that job on lock as we head to next season. And I don't love, early on, the ruffling of the feathers, if you will, with Ron Rivera, Eric Bieniemy, and these offensive players that some are apparently complaining about how hard Eric Bieniemy is coaching them. And for whatever reason, Ron Rivera thought that was a good idea to bring the media and then when he brought it to the media and said, oh, yeah, players are complaining, did not really say much to actually defend his own OC that he hired. I don't really like what's going on with Washington on the offensive side of the ball this year. I'm kind of out on them. But Sam Howell, I don't think he's going to be a guy that is going to play well enough to lock down the position here in 2024. I have the same thought and same opinion, actually, for Jordan Love and the Packers. I know Jordan Love was drafted in 2020, so he's not a rookie. But I am treating this as Jordan Love's rookie year. We're kind of similar to Anthony Richardson. I think you'll see some highs and some flashes. And kind of like Sam Howell, you will see the the talent and the potential there. But I don't think he's going to play well enough to where you are, if you're the Packers, after the season, you're saying, okay, we got our quarterback for next season solved. Let's see what else we need in the free agency or, or see where we can put our draft resources and allocations. I think it's going to be a bumpy ride with Jordan Love. I know, I don't know why, but I know there's been some playoff, not to use a pun here, Love. With the Packers, let's say the last month where they're kind of getting some steam as a team that can make a playoff run in the NFC. Uh, in the NFC. I don't see it. This Packers team to me is like 7-10 written all over. 
think love will show you some flashes, show you some promise at times, just won't be consistent enough to where you can absolutely lock it down after week 18. He's back in 2024. Who is back, I think, is Baker Mayfield on the Bucks. This is the first time in a few years he has a full offseason with a team and is healthy. I think to me that's going to equate to him leading the Bucks to the NFC South crown. Baker is getting the Bucks back into the playoffs, and I think he's going to have a little bit of a renaissance year himself. I like the weapons that they have with Chris Godwin, with Mike Evans, not promising coming out of practice today with Russell Gage getting potentially seriously hurt. So that could be a weapon that, you know, Baker could be missing here. But I like the fact that Baker, I think, if he's put in the right system and given the right opportunity, still has a lot of success left in him. Like, look at the last few years here. 2022, Baker Mayfield was traded to the Panthers two weeks before training camp started. He had to learn the playbook, learn his new players, try to become friends with the guys, try to build chemistry on the fly, and then was the starter basically two months after being traded to Carolina. That's not a recipe for success. That is not a way that you can drop a guy in there and expect him to light it up and, you know, revive his career. 2021, Baker has heard in week number two that shoulder injury clearly, clearly limited his ability. And he almost got punished in a way for trying to gut it out because we saw him play and play pretty poorly. The last time he had... I mean, I'm going to put in quotes here, real offseason, because 2020, obviously, with the COVID, uh, the offseason was anything but normal. But knew the offense, had an offseason to work with his guys, and came in healthy to the season. He led the Browns to the playoffs and won a playoff game. That's what I expect from Baker this year. Big bounce back. Bucks winning the NFC South, which would mean we go to our next team, Saints with Derek Carr. My expectation for the Saints and Derek Carr this year, disappointing. Like, on paper, going to this year, they should be the clear favorite to win the division. They have the best quarterback in the division right now in 2023. They have veteran talent on the team. Now, staying healthy is a whole other question. But talent-wise, they have the most, I think, talent of any of the four teams overall, offense, defense, special teams in the NFC South. But Derek Carr, to me, is someone that I think is going to try a little too hard to impress his ex, do a little too much, and that's going to work to the detriment of New Orleans. This is also a guy that is not very clutch. 2021, when he got the Raiders to the playoffs after John Gruden got fired and Henry Ruggs crashed his car and killed somebody, it was a tumultuous season for Las Vegas in 2021. To Derek Carr's credit, he rallied that team. He was the leader they absolutely needed. And he got him to the playoffs. He was clutch. The issue, though, is since that and before that, he's never been that player. That year, that 2021 year, is the exception for Derek Carr, not the rule. So I'm still worried about Derek Carr's ability to play well in a big game. And I don't think that him still being upset about his Raiders exit is going to lead him to play his best brand of football. I think he's going to try to do too much. That's going to work again to more of a negative for the Saints and have them miss the playoffs, which again, when you look at the talent on their roster and the division they're in, would be absolutely disappointing. Finally, because we're not going to do the, the, you know, we'll do two more. We'll have a little fun. We'll do two more. 
Panthers. NFC South, Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young's going to uh, win Rookie of the Year and absolutely validate why the Panthers made the right move in trading up from 9-1 to one to get Bryce Young, trading away DJ Moore, giving away first and second round picks in each, you know, in, in the 2023 draft and the 2024 draft. That was absolutely the right move. He's the real deal. Bryce Young, to me, is absolutely the real deal in this draft. This is a guy that does everything well except be tall. That's it. The only thing you can knock him for is his height. And if that's the case, accuracy, composure, vision, decision-making, ability to hang in the pocket, scrambling ability, if everything he does is at a really high level, the only thing that's not high is literally how tall he is, I got no problem with that. You can absolutely work around that. And I think the, the Panthers in year number one will. I like the fact they, had, uh, they added Miles Sanders. I like the fact they added Adam Thielen, some good veteran presence on offense to help, you know, lessen the burden a little bit for, for Young. I'm in on Bryce. Rookie of the year, and that's going to be a guy that at the end of 2023, the Panthers, even though they'll go into the next draft without two of their top picks to make this roster better, will feel really good about giving up all that capital to go get, I think, definitely at least coming out of the draft, by far the best quarterback in last year's draft. And finally, just for, you know, S's and G's, if you will, let's do the Cardinals, because Colt McCoy is going to technically be a new starter. This team's going to sink. This team's going to sink, and you know what? It's going to be the right thing for Arizona. Colt McCoy is not very good. I think he's going to do a good job of tanking, and the Cardinals will be sitting there next year with the number one overall pick. And frankly, could be sitting there also the number two overall pick, because remember, they also have the Texans first round pick in 2024. So even though this season's going to be rough for Colt and rough for the Cardinals organization, I think you're going to reap the rewards next year where you could have possibly the number one and number two picks, get Caleb Williams, get Marvin Harrison Jr., and turn your franchise around. All right, that is expectations for, I said 10, but we added the Cardinals at the end, 11 teams with new quarterbacks here for 2023. When we return, The Athletic wrote an article today that I thought was very interesting on the future of college football. Is a breakaway inevitable? And if so, how many teams should form a new league in college football? We'll discuss that when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb right here on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Zach Gelb Show. Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb right here on CBS Sports Radio. So conference realignment is truly ruining college football. And it feels like at this point, with the SEC having 16 teams next year, the Big Ten having 18 teams next year, going forward, looking ahead 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, it feels inevitable to me at this point, a breakaway is coming. A college football breakaway is coming where a new league is going to be formed. The only question for me is, how many teams are going to be included? Because right now, going forward here, I don't think it's sustainable or good for the sport to have the Big Ten and SEC doubling basically every other uh, conference and every other team not in those two conferences in terms of TV revenue. All you're doing is making the rich richer, you're widening the gap between the haves and the have-nots, and you are basically eliminating parity from college football. And so when you look kind of ahead, that's why to me it feels inevitable. And the athletic... Stuart Mandel specifically, really good college football writer and reporter, agrees with that. He wrote a column uh, yesterday talking about how he also feels a breakaway is inevitable 
and his outline was basically a premier league for college football. No relegation. It's a little too hard to do that, but he threw out there a 28-team, basically elite college football league. We had the biggest brands in every conference form together, 28 teams, brand new league, everyone else is kind of on their own. And for me, that feels too much like the NFL. Like, even though it's the same literal sport, right, football, the NFL and college football are worlds different. And that's a good thing. I think the NFL obviously has a massive audience for their own reasons, but college football as well has their own fans for multiple reasons as well that are different than just the fact that it's the same sport. And so if you're college football, I think you should remain true to your core. True to who you are. And to me, branching off and just inviting 28 teams, having four pods of seven teams, feeding 28 teams into a 12-team college football playoff, to me feels too much like the NFL. I think you got to include all of uh, Power 5. That's why for me, we're talking about breakaway. I think what should happen is a 50-60 to 60 team breakaway. Take every single Power 5 team, which if you want to include the Big 12 and, you know, taking teams from the group of five like UCF, Boise State, Houston, um, and Cincinnati, fine. That's no problem. I'll include them here too. At Notre Dame, you have 69 teams in the Power 5 conference. Take those teams from a brand new league, sell it like the NFL, meaning you are selling to ESPN, selling to Fox, selling to NBC, CBS, whoever wants it, this new league as one. Right, right now, college football is sold by conference. The Big Ten sells their rights. The SEC sells their rights. The Big 12 sells their rights. That's the reason why the Pac-12 just disintegrated in front of our eyes. But this new league, this 50 to 60, again, I would just do every Power 5 team, 60-19 league, maybe 70 to make it equal, or if you want to eliminate 168 to make it equal, either way, you sell it as one. One huge college football league. And so that way, every team gets equal TV revenue. And from there, you can put college football back to its pure form. Which, as we know, is local. College football is truly a local sport. If you live in Big Ten country, odds are you root for a Big Ten team and you hate the teams around you. But you pay attention and focus on the teams around you because that's what's close to you. you. It's a regionalized sport. If you're an Iowa fan, the biggest game is your season against Minnesota, against uh, Wisconsin, Iowa State. You value those local rivalries as much as winning a national title. Same is true in the SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12. Local matters. Local matters maybe in any more than any sport for college football. And so if you break away from basically a power five league and every team is getting equal TV revenue. So you, everyone started at the bare minimum. Let's just say, I don't know, pick a number out of hat, $40 million. Right? That's what the NFL does. The NFL sells the league as the NFL. You're not buying into the NFC South or the AFC West. You are buying, if you're a TV network, the NFL. Every team gets the same check from TV networks. If college football does that, where it does not matter what conference you're in, and the conference you're in does not dictate how much TV revenue you get, you allow college football to go back to its pure form locally. 
USC does not have to be in the Big Ten if they're getting $50 million no matter what conference they're in. Oklahoma does not have to be in the SEC if they're getting the same amount of money, whether they're in Big 12 or the SEC. You now at least allow this breakaway league to be sold as one giant unit, one giant league. You can allow college football to be regionalized again. And that, to me, is where it's at its best. We have the Big Ten truly in Big Ten country. We have the SEC truly in that southeastern portion of the the country in that footprint. When you have the Pac-12 out west on the Pacific Ocean. Now with all these conference realignments, you have the Big 12 basically in all four time zones. Big 10 is stretching from, same thing, stretching from New Jersey and Maryland all the way out to L.A. and Oregon and Washington. You allow, again, equal TV revenue distribution. I think that brings couch football back to the form we love. And that brings to me and makes the sport even better. That is what I hope the direction we go in, but I think a breakaway is inevitable. Now the only question is how many teams? How many teams, really, the other two questions are how many teams and when? How fast is this breakaway going to happen? And how many teams are going to be included? I would say within the next 10 years. In the next 10 years, we will see the Big Ten go away, the SEC go away, now a brand new league form. Only question is how many teams? I would do all power five, make it easier that way, and still have a giant amount of teams you can still play and, again, make those rivalries local again. Hopefully that happens. Hopefully if you are an SEC commissioner, Big Ten commissioner, college football fan, you are listening and like what I have to say. That is the direction. That's where I do hope college football does return to sooner rather than later. All right, before we get to a news brief here, Marco Belletti is in the house. Marco, for the most part, Hard Knocks has been a snore, right? It's it's a puff piece for the Jets. It's not a surprise. It's kind of how Hard Knocks has been. One thing, though, has blown my mind, and I, I am torn here. Oz Perlman, Oz the Mentalist, right, was, was on last night's Hard Knocks episode. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to blow it for anyone who hasn't seen the episode yet. That just came out last night, and people have different watching habits. So I don't want to ruin any surprises. But Oz the Mentalist is performing all these insane tricks where he's predicting scores and he's predicting the right cards, doing a lot of magician stuff, but also mind reading as well. Where I'm torn is this, Marco. Okay. I'm going to go on a limb here. It's obviously, I'm not going to say fake, but it's, he's actually not reading the minds, right? He's not reading anyone's mind. Correct. I don't want to know how he does it because I'm captivated, and that, to me, would kind of ruin it. Like, once you kind of go behind the scenes, it almost, like, takes away that childlike feeling of amazement and awe of how is he doing this. Mm -hmm. But I'm also inside at the same time, like, I got to figure out how the hell he's doing this. How is, like, again, for one of them, Aaron Rodgers has a deck of cards in his hand. Aaron Rodgers is looking at the cards. And Aaron Rodgers is someone who does not seem to play into this or would love to call call out what you're doing. And all of a sudden, without removing anything, his, the cards in his hand go to like a, a goldfish. I want to know how he does it, but also at the same time, once I know, then it's for me, it's ruined, and then I can never look at it the same. I am truly torn here what to do. Um, see, that one I don't know if you're going to find because if that's his trick, if he hasn't told it yet, then it's a little different. There's the ones that are obvious. I don't know. I, I haven't Googled that. I'd like to know. I'd prefer to know. You, that would not ruin it for you? It changes it. But ruin is the wrong word. No. I'm still amazed by the fact of how you did it. 
But no, seeing the way you did it doesn't make you, oh, well, now I have no mystery. I like to, I, I'm curious more than I am anything else. So curious still leads me to watch it again, even if I know how you did it. That's my personal flaw, we'll say, just because it's like I, for a while, like, was in a rabbit hole on YouTube of, like, magic tricks. I think it was so cool. And it, for, actually, I'll leave it for later. Uh, anyway, so, like, you just, like, watching. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of card tricks and stuff like that, sleight of hand. And I'm like, how can you actually predict someone's, you know, what their card is? And you'd watch a video afterwards how they do it. And if for me, like, the magic's gone. Like, then, okay, now I know what you're doing. Now it's not as cool. So now if you can, you know, quote, unquote, read my mind. But See, I you, don't mind you that. play the game. Then for me, like, then once I know how the sausage is made, it, it's, it's done. See, everybody's a little different with this. And a lot of people don't even like magic. Uh, apparently, you and I are on the same page. Well, I was going to go into that, but I said, I'll save it. I'm with you. Magic's cool. I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to, to steal your bit here. But, yeah, magic is good stuff. And I have watched some of the stuff like the... You know, I remember watching a documentary on, like, Houdini and, like, how he did a lot of his tricks and all that kind of stuff. I'm still fascinated by it, even though hearing how he was able to do what he did. And some of the other, I know, Penn and Teller, they've gone, gone through some of that stuff of, you know, revealing the curtain and getting back there. I'm, I'm still cool with the trick itself, but even after I see how it's done, if you do it again, I'm still interested. Because now I'm watching it a little differently, but I'm still curious and I still like it. I'm not one of those people that once I know what it is, that's it, I'm out. That's not me. I, the curiosity part still leads me to be fascinated by the whole thing. So will you, like, look up Oz, the mentalist now, and, like, look uh, and to see how he does? Like, I don't know if he, he even reveals his tricks. I don't know. Some magicians do, some don't. I, don't I would imagine videos. if he's doing it, he hasn't. Usually, with magicians, I mean, if you're going to, because it does reveal a lot of the It takes intrigue. away a lot of, right. So I would think if you're actually doing this, consistently or currently, no, I would think you would probably not want people to know it. I just don't know if that's his original trick. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about magic and all the different guys. Like, I, I don't know. I know some of the names that we all know, but would I know which one's what? No, I, I don't. So I don't know if that one's his or if he ripped that off from somebody somewhere else and, you know, the trick is out there if you Google it. I don't know. I haven't done it yet. Would I? I'd be interested. I might. I'll say this. I haven't. I saw that bit on Twitter. Right. I have not seen the episode of Hard Knocks. So I will tell you this much. I will watch the episode first before I get into any Googling of anything because I do want to see the episode first. I, in this regard, I'm cool with the finding out, revealing the curtain, but not before I see the trick. I need okay. to see the trick first. Then you can tell me how it's done. Then I'll come back for more if I'm still fascinated by it. But I don't want to know before. If you do it before and I've never seen the trick, no. Now you ruined it. That's where you can ruin it. That's, so you can, all right, so you want to watch a trick, be amazed, then figure out how it works, and then you could go watch it again once you know it works. Yeah, because I look at it with different eyes. time and amazement. Because I could look at it with different eyes. I could look at it a different way. And that won't bother you. But no. what will bother you is knowing beforehand, yes. hey, this is what I'm going to do, yes. and all of a sudden, then all of a sudden. Yeah, because I'm not watching it properly. The whole point of magic most of the time, the, the sleight of hand, it's almost like the you know the mirage. Look over here. Wherever they're talk, talking to you, wherever they're telling you to look, that's where they don't want. You know, That's different. Everything else is being done somewhere else. Right. So if they're telling you up to the right, look over here, something at the bottom left is being done. If you know that beforehand, you're not watching it properly. You're looking at the deception when you shouldn't be because you shouldn't know about it. So no, that would screw it up for me. But after I've seen it once before, now I can look at it different ways. It's almost like... I would think about it this way. If you know the ending of a movie before you've seen the movie, now you've screwed it up for me. If I've seen it before 
and then you explain like a different plot twist that I didn't recognize the first time. Like it's a mystery or Inception. You got to watch 12 times to cool. really truly get it. Yeah. And I love that movie. If you screw it up before I've seen it, now I don't want to watch it. If you tell me something that I didn't realize when I watched it the first time, I'll watch that thing three or four times because I watched it the way I saw it the first time, the way you've explained it, and we go on and on and on, and I can look at different elements. So to me, it's di- it depends on when you know it. The crazy part, too, with Oz Perlman is the fact that he's not a magician. Right? He's like a mentalist. So, like, the tricks, I'm not going to ruin anything for you, and it also, too, it happens right at the start of the episode, so you don't have to wait long whatsoever. <laughs> it's not like it's not a sleight of hand. For the most part, it's not like, hey, look over here top right, and I'm just going to, you know, shuffle some cards on the top left. It's like, in a way, like, predicting what you think someone's going to say. And that's where, like, I'm torn of just, like, I think I can have discipline of a card trick. Okay, I know something's going on, but I don't really want to know what exactly. Mm. For the mentalist, why I'm, like, tempted to kind of look is just, like, I don't know how you're doing. Like, I don't know where, like, where, like, I don't know where the trick is actually happening. Yeah, there's a lot of unless the it happens stuff. There's a lot of like cues, and there's a before, lot of before. Yeah, they're looking at different things that they see, and they're almost kind of implanting things into your head too. Like, there's a lot of different ways because I have seen some of that stuff. They're they're almost reading your body language and the things that you're going through, and they're also kind of um, subliminally kind of giving you things that you don't even realize they're giving you some cues. Like, so really quick here, one example that we both shared was before the show was this because we were talking about this before the show. And you showed me a David Blaine, a David Blaine magic trick he did in Harrison Ford's house. Right. We had Harrison Ford look at a, a deck of cards, pick a card, not pick it out, but in his head, think of a card. Yep. And said, "I already know your cards that in there." Takes out what was it, an orange. Yep. Cuts the orange open. Inside the orange is the was a nine of hearts, whatever it was. More, the exact card. And, and not only that, he had Harrison Ford pick the the fruit out of a bowl. Right. He had him pick the, and he happened to so pick. Like, the how does that happen? I have no idea. I've never looked into that. I don't know. I love the reaction. I love the trick. I would assume Harrison Ford is not in on it. I didn't really delve into that, but I don't know. But that, if you told me afterwards, wouldn't stop me from going. That's still a damn good trick, and I would still watch it over and over. That's to me. That's what I'm saying. But if you told me beforehand, and I know he's going to cut open the orange, now you lost me. That that is fair. That is fair. I think the, I do think the movie comp is fair in terms of you're right like if you know the ending beforehand it stinks but if you know it after the fact okay now I can rewatch it there's some of magic though I do like I know I'm being fooled somewhere mm-hmm. but I do like, like I just don't want to you know what don't tell me the sausage is made I just want to pretend like this is actually real and, and that's I'm fair. just gonna be amazed every time that's fair again which whatever you're comfortable with as long as to me I don't understand the idea though like you watch and you go ah because there's a trick so who cares like that to me like you, you miss something you, you miss the whole point of this it's supposed to be fun there's supposed to be right, an intrigue right. there's supposed to be a curiosity there's supposed to be a oh wow there's supposed to be some sort of amazement that's involved in it if you look at it and like you know well you know he's going to do something yeah well no kidding uh, well great i mean i know i'm going to die it doesn't mean i'm going to live go, life go like, pound like, sand. it's just right. stupid uh, to me like there's got to be an in- you got to invest your mind in it a little bit give it a chance as long as it's done properly you know if the magic trick is garbage then there's a different story if you've not seen Hard Knocks, highly suggest, because that's so far to me through two episodes is by far the highlight. First four minutes of the episode. So right there, right in your face. You don't have to wait for it whatsoever. Oz Perlman just blowing everyone on the Jets' mind uh, with some of his tricks. Unreal. We'll do a news brief when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb right here on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Zach Gelb Show. It is time for a news brief. Hey! 
time for your daily news brief. We get you caught up on the rumors, reports, and reconnaissance from the day in sports. One thing that really does bother me, something that gets me maybe more fired up than it should, is athletes going back and forth, flirting with coming out of retirement, retiring, unretiring, retiring, unretiring. We obviously saw Brett Favre for a while. Now we're starting to see it with Rob Gronkowski, who is now retired, uh, retired twice. We thought the second time was going to be permanent. He was on the Up and Adams show, though, earlier today with Kay Adams and flirted with maybe, hey, if there was one head coach that could pull you out of retirement, Gronk, who would it be? Here's Gronk's answer. Brian Dable wants me on his don't, roster. Don't I know do it. it. Don't do it. Gronk, we can't. Gronk, we <laughs> he can't. He won't have that Gronk, face if I was Gronk, on the team with him. Gronk, we can't keep doing this. I know, but where's, I love to do where's it. Where's the window? Is it? I love to do it, though. Is it, like, open? Is I love it, to pretend that I can still play. just makes me feel you good. Could. You definitely could still play. No, I can't. I'm washed up. Who's the coach that Wait, has I the, just like to pretend. Who's the coach that has the best chance to get you out of retirement? Um, Brian Dabo. Really? Yeah. Really? Not Sean McDermott? Interesting. Mm. Oh, my hometown team. Mm, <laughs> your favorite team. But Brian Dabo. At this point, I, I, honestly, I'm either in, you're out, in or you're out. Honestly, that's it. Pick a, pick a lane. You retired out of the NFL last year. Pick a lane. I think he's now just, I think he kind of admitted it. Hey, I'm just kind of flirted with this idea because, you know what? You guys still eat it up, and it's still a way to kind of get me, uh, you know, get me some attention. Gronk doesn't need an NFL career. Guy's a star off the field anyway. Living his life, partying, dating Camille Kostek. Live your life, buddy. Don't come back to the NFL. All right, Brett, your mark. Commissioner of the Big 12 really was the one who put the dagger in the hearts of the Big 12 by taking Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado over to his conference. I was on the Marshand and Orand podcast and basically mentioned that, hey, after he stabbed George Klofkoff in the back, Klofkoff basically gave him a hug. I texted George, reached out to him, and effectively I said, hey, I'm sorry I came down to this, and I'm sorry I put you in a tough position, but this was something that, you know, we, we, we had to do. And I'm sorry that my gain is your loss. And we had a very collegial conversation. George was fantastic. I didn't do it. I didn't do, you know, expansion didn't happen in someone's shadow. It didn't happen at night. It wasn't a shock and awe moment. Everyone knew the Big 12 had an appetite to expand. And um, I, I, I'm, maybe some people in the industry didn't like that, that I was so intentional about it. But I'm very transparent. In fact, I telegraphed it. Um, and I just felt that was the right way to do it versus other things that I w- witnessed and, 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 and observed in our industry over time where transparency really wasn't really, the, you know, what happened. I don't think I've ever heard something more disrespectful without cursing at someone or calling them a really bad name or slur then I'm sorry my gain was your loss the Big 12 broke into George Glockoff's house robbed all of his belongings stole his car stole his wife stole a million dollars of cash out of the safe went home celebrated spent the money married the new girl and then the next day he came back and said hey George I'm sorry I had to do that I'm sorry your house is the house I targeted And there's George being, oh, it's okay. It's all good. 
You want to know why the Pac-12, after being around for 108 years, imploded? Dissolved? Is gone? That clip right there. Brett Yormark was the shark. He realized it's eat or get eaten. And so he realized for the Big 12 in order to survive, I got to add teams and I got to take out someone else. The Pac-12, Kleofkoff, George Kleofkoff. I don't know why I can't say that name. I'm sorry. George Kleofkoff was like, oh, let's all be friends. Come on, we can all coexist here. I'll have my little Apple deal and I'll be nice and I'm not going to negotiate hard or play hardball and get what I want. It's all going to work out. It's a dog-eat-dog world. It's a capitalistic society. And for all those that gain, others lose. The Pac-12 was obviously the biggest loser there. And you just heard why from the Big 12 commissioner's mouth. Robbed the Pac-12. Basically laughed in their face. And they said, it's okay. All right, Jonathan Taylor, Colts star running back, away from the team today for an excused absence for now the second time in a week. But yesterday, late last night, SiriusXM had their GM, Colts GM, Chris Ballard, on the show. And they said, look, before we do anything with Jonathan Taylor, you got to make sure he's healthy. I think the world of, of Jonathan. Um, he's been a great Colt, been a great player for the Colt. You know, unfortunately, last year he, he, you know, he got hurt early in the season, was dinged all year, fought through it till he finally got to a point where he had to, you know, have this surgery. And now, now he's finishing his rehab process. And so hopefully, hopefully as we move forward here, we'll get him back. But we need to get him 100% healthy before we do anything. I am concerned about Jonathan Taylor's health. For a long time, I thought he was faking it, to be honest with you. I thought this was a way for him to hold in, be on pup, not lose $40,000 a day in fines, and still get his message across that he wants to get paid and he feels like he's being uh, handled inappropriately, contract-wise. And now you hear their GM basically say, we got to get him healthy first? Jonathan Taylor had surgery in January for a high ankle sprain that's supposed to have one month recovery. It is eight months later. I still think he's going to be there week number one, but let me tell you, I say that with very little confidence. Honestly, as a Colts fan, it's more hope at this point than confidence. Finally, Bill Belichick always loved expanding on his decisions. He were here, here he was talking about why the Patriots signed Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, good to have Zeke. Um, yeah, we had a good visit with him, and I look forward to working with him. What does he bring to the team? Uh, well, we'll see. Yeah, I've never coached Zeke before, but glad we have him, and we'll we'll start. Um, you know, spent time with him in the last uh, you know last night and on the trip to you know, terminology and plays and protections, things like that. Uh, so we'll work him in there when when he's ready. We'll see how that goes. Will he be participating in the practices today or tomorrow? Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I love Bill Belichick. Why'd you sign him, coach? I don't know. We'll see what he got. Never coached him before. This guy could lie his way out of a paper bag. It is impressive how he dodges and is able to give a non-answer for every single answer he has. Bill's the best. All right, when we return, speaking of not the best, Jets offensive line. Is it time to hit the panic button on the New York Jets? My answer is yes. I'll tell you why when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb on CBS Sports Radio. 